through the history of this nation, we see there have been times where great revival comes because there is a great need. If there is no great need, then there would be no need for a revival. And I believe personally that we are coming to one of the greatest times and greatest needs of our nation. And we have an opportunity as a nation to turn and repent, turn to the living God who created us and who has made way our salvation through Jesus Christ. Or we can continue on, and my fear is that this nation will continue on in status quo, the way things have been going. We have been falling further away from God instead of coming toward the God who created us. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Actually, what we're going to see today is, is really two sides of a coin here, those who believe and those who don't believe. And so I am just favor heads as being those who believe in the tales those who do not believe. And we're going to see both sides as Paul's going to go back and forth in 2 Thessalonians. And so let's go ahead and read through. We'll begin in verse 5. I've already read it once, but we'll repeat it. Go all the way through 12, get the context, and then come back and break it down. Which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation, those who trouble you. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of our Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day, to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasures of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask through your Holy Spirit that you would open your word to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So that coming day, the Lord is coming to judge. And I believe that the Lord has judged, and I believe the Lord is coming to judge, has judged throughout the history of the world. The Lord has often come 
and judged ungodly nations for their disbelief in him. The flood is a judgment against the whole world, as we know through Scripture, where only eight souls were saved. But then we have the example of the nation of Israel when they went into Egypt, 75 souls, but came out some probably near 2 million, that as they came out some 400 years later, God judged the nation of Egypt. They're coming into the promised land. 40 years after they're coming out of Egypt, as they entered into the promised land, they entered in to judge the nations there. Seven nations are named in Scripture. But God was judging. But in God's justice, we also see God's grace, even in that story of Israel. For the Lord told Abraham, your descendants will go to a country which we know now as Egypt. But as he told Abraham of the future of the nation that would come from his seed, he also told of the Amorites and saying the iniquity of the Amorites have not basically reached its height yet. God gave them 400 years of his grace, 400 years of opportunity to as a nation to repent and turn to the living God. Now, God, as a nation, perhaps, he's given us well over 200 years. 1776, as we formed as a nation and had that celebration back in 1976. And our nation just didn't begin, as we know, in 1776, as the pilgrims came over, as those who began to travel to this country, God began to work in this land And we have seen through the history of this nation times of revival where great men of God like Moody and Whitfield and Finney and others preached the word of God and many turned their hearts toward the Lord once again. But through the history of this nation, we see there have been times where great revival comes because there is a great need. If there is no great need, then there would be no need for a revival. And I believe personally that we are coming to one of the greatest times and greatest needs of our nation. And we have an opportunity as a nation to turn and repent, turn to the living God who created us and who has made way our salvation through Jesus Christ. Or we can continue on, and my fear is that this nation will continue on in status quo, the way things have been going We have been falling further away from God instead of coming toward the God who created us. I believe our nation is coming to a place of great choice. We know future things. We're talking about a future day that has been prophesied in Scripture. Paul is referring to it here. A future day of the Lord's coming. Until that coming day, the scripture tells us that the Lord is not slack concerning his promises toward us, but that he is long suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so until that coming day, there is that opportunity for all to come to repentance. The Lord's grace, his mercy is being bestowed, but God is just. And that's one of the first things that I want us to see here in verse six. As Paul says, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. A righteous thing with God. It's one of the characteristics of God that God is just. Now, when I went to Webster to see what his definition was of righteous, he defined it with two words, virtuous and devout. 
Well, that's not referring to God at all. I don't believe it's it's really he's defining from man's terms that those who are righteous as far as men or women are concerned here on this earth. We would call those who are virtuous, those who are devout to a certain religion or person. But this is referring to not human righteousness, but God's righteousness. We know, according to the word of God, human righteousness doesn't even come close. God said concerning our human righteousness, it's as filthy rags to him. Now, he's not talking about dirty shop rags that we have laying around guys in our garages. Literally, in Hebrew, that word is referring to the cloth that was used by the women during the menstrual cycle. This would be something that you would either wash or cast out, just get rid of. You want no part of that. And that's what the Lord is saying. Your righteousness is like filthy rags. In literal sense, we are the untouchables. But the Lord Jesus came to make us those whom he will touch. Do you realize in the ministry of Jesus, as he walked on this earth, he often would touch the untouchables. He often would touch the untouchable. Those who the religious rulers would come and say, why is he eating with the publicans and the sinners? Doesn't he know what type of people these are? And and the Lord said, I know who they are. Those who are not sick have no need for the physician, but those who are sick. And the Lord was saying, I'm with those who are sick. I'm the physician. I've come to heal them. And he is willing to touch you and I to this day. We are the untouchables. We know through Scripture that those who are the unclean, those who are the untouchables in Scripture so often referred to those who had the disease of leprosy. Hansen's disease is what it's called today, but there's still surrounded so much of a mystery of this disease that those with leprosy, and, and according to the Hebrew law that the Lord gave us through Moses, that those who had this, they were set outside the camp. Ultimately, this meant that they ended up around the garbage dumps of Israel or Jerusalem, outside the cities where they would scrounge for food. They were the untouchables that would have to cover themselves and cry out, unclean, unclean, whenever they walked in a public place because no one could touch them or they would be defiled and made unclean also. The Lord was willing to come and to touch those of us. Our righteousness, filthy rags. God's righteousness, well, When we look at this as far as theological terms are concerned, God's righteousness is described in two different ways. One, absolute. Number two, relative. God's righteousness is absolute, meaning that God is righteous, period. That's it. David, in Psalm 11, 7, he began and said, the Lord is righteous. He didn't say the Lord is righteous and then tried to explain to us why he thought the Lord was righteous. He just said it as a statement. The Lord is righteous. Daniel 9, 7, he says, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but shame of face to us as it is this day. Righteousness belongs to the Lord. To us, shame of face. But his righteousness is relative in the sense of how it is meted out toward us or how God deals with us directly as his creation, as believers and unbelievers. In Psalm 19.9, Scripture tells us, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments, another word for judgment, righteousness, just, they all kind of coincide there, but the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
Psalm 119, 137. Righteous you are, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Verse 138. Your testimonies, which you have commanded, are righteous and very faithful. How the Lord deals with us. He deals with us in righteousness. God is going to judge righteously. Paul talked about that day on the message there in Athens on Mars Hill in Acts 17.30, where he said, Truly, these times of ignorance God have overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Verse 31, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given us assurance of this by raising him from the dead. Who was the man who has been risen from the dead? It's the Lord Jesus. And so the Lord Jesus is going to come on that appointed day. God has appointed a day in which he will judge in righteousness by the man, the Lord Jesus. And that coming day Paul is referring to here. He says that the Lord will in righteousness will repay with tribulation those who trouble you. The church was under persecutions and tribulations, but God would repay those who troubled his church, his children on that coming day. In verse 7, he says, To give to you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So the flip side of the coin now, we're on the head side to me. Maybe you like tails, but I like heads. We're on the head side of that coin, and for us, it's rest. Notice that Paul said, rest with us. Paul had a surety of the Lord's coming day, but also of that coming rest that was prepared for him. And later on, he'll say, for those of you who believed our testimony, our message, so for those of us who believe since that day. Paul, a believer, said, I'm going to have rest, and you guys will have rest with us. So on one side of the coin, trouble for those who don't believe. The other side of the coin, a coming rest for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord will be a great, dreadful, and fearful day. But not for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus. For those of us who believe that coming day means rest from our troubles. Paul had this hope. And I pray that you have this hope also. Whatever we're going through, it's probably not as bad as some of the other believers are going through today throughout the world in different parts or have went through. Paul, when he describes some of the things that he went through, being beaten with rods, being stoned, being shipwrecked in a day and a night in the sea, it's not just being mocked at and being made fun of, but the physical persecution. When he said, I bear the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ, he literally meant that, the scars that was on his body. And to be honest with you, I have no scars on my body from anyone who has ever abused or attacked me. Perhaps they have made fun of me. I've been called a jerk before, and I've been called names. And maybe that hurts our feelings, but our feelings can, can heal up. In Hebrews, in the great chapter 11, which talks about the roll call of the faithful, talking about those who lived destitute lives, those who were sawn asunder, meaning they were sawed in half, and it wasn't a magic act. There was no person going to come and put them back together and say, everything's okay. They were doing this because of their faithfulness to the Lord. And the Lord has promised 
reward in heaven, has promised rest. And it's at his coming when the Lord Jesus, we notice next in verse 7, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. This word revealed is apocalypse. It's where we get from Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, that apocalypse, when the Lord is being revealed. And there are three Greek words that are found in the New Testament that are used to talk about the Lord's second coming. And that is this one of his revelation. The other in 1 Timothy 6.14 talks about the Lord's appearing. Next week, we'll see the other one in, in chapter 2, verse 1, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's talking about the Lord's second coming, that the Lord is coming. In Revelation 1.1, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show to his servants things which must shortly take place. The Lord is coming. Now, God's shortly, obviously, is a lot longer time span than what we would consider short. If it would have happened in John's day, we wouldn't be here today. But remember, God is long-suffering. And so His patience, His long-suffering, has afforded the opportunity for me and you to believe. And it is a great patience and a great long-suffering. And I'm so thankful that the Lord waited for me. And He's waited for you up to this day. But when He comes, He's not just the revealing of Him from heaven. It says he's coming with his mighty angels. Now, back in 1 Thessalonians 3.13, he says that the Lord is coming with all his saints. And here, with his mighty angels. Talks about a great cloud that's going to come. The Lord Jesus coming in a, with a great cloud on his return. Every eye will see him. In Hebrews 12.1, it talks about a great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. And there when Jesus ascended into heaven and they saw the clouds come around him and, and lift him up and they were standing there, the disciples, the apostles, and those who were with him that day, gazing up into heaven. And the messengers came and said, the very same way that he ascended, he will descend. The scripture tells us every eye will see him. I had a man in my driveway several years ago from the Jehovah's Witness, kept targeting a date of 19... 18, I believe, was the date, or 1914. I believe it was 1918. 1918, 1918. I talked to him for quite a while. He'd come back to our house in a couple of weeks, and I'd spend two hours talking with him. After two hours, he had enough of me, and I never saw the man again. <laughs> but finally, I said, what's up with 1918? It's like it's when the Lord returned in his secret chamber. In his secret chamber. Every eye will see him, the Scripture says, but they tell us the Lord returned. And, and so if the Lord's returned, then we must be in the millennial reign. And this is paradise. It's heaven. Isn't this great? Isn't it wonderful, this millennial reign of Christ? But that's what some believe. Others believe, which is called post-millennial belief, is that it's the church who's going to Christianize the world in preparation for the Lord's return. So once again, it's been 2,000 years, the church, we're having great success, aren't we? The world is getting closer to Christ than ever before. Is that true? I see as the world is getting further away. And so it's the Lord who's going to make the change. It's the Lord who's going to come with all his saints, with his mighty angels. Mighty angels, as we look through Scripture, in a couple of places that I thought of, there in First and Second Chronicles, we'll be studying this soon on Wednesday night, but there was a time when David 
sinned against the Lord by numbering the fighting men in Israel. Now, Scripture tells us Satan put it in the heart of David to count the people. And he told Joab, his commander-in-chief, he says, go number the men. And Joab said, why are you doing this? Why do you want to know the number? God is our defense. And what it was was judging how strong his nation was. If you know how big the force is, you know whom you can go against, right? We count our numbers or our might, our weaponry. And so God came back to David after the counting had taken place, sent a prophet to him and said, you have sinned against the Lord and God has given you three options. Three years of famine, three months of being given over into the hands of your enemies, or three days of judgment from the Lord. And David said, let me fall into the hands of the Lord for his mercies are great. But in that three-day period of time, one angel, 70,000 men, fell in Israel. Now, it's a great story because from that story, the angel stops coming to the city of Jerusalem. And David ultimately would buy and purchase a piece of property where the temple would ultimately be built. And so we see God's grace in it and God's mercy was shown there because only 70,000 fell. But one angel, 70,000. Later on in Second Chronicles, we read the story of the Assyrians when they came to attack Israel. And 185,000 in one night, one angel went through the camp, killed all the chief men of the camp, 185,000. He's coming with his mighty angels. Years ago, I made a chart. This is my chart of the book of Revelation. And, and it's my cheat sheet as I went through there looking at these things, but it also helps me just to look through and see what would take place. We learn in the book of Revelation of seven seals and the judgments that will take place of that, but also of seven trumpets that an angel will sound, one each trumpet. As the trumpet is being sound, it tells us as the first trumpet is sound, a half of the earth is burned up. The second trumpet is sound, a third of the sea turns to blood, a third of the sea creatures die, and a third of the ships are destroyed. The third, it tells us that the third of the waters turn bitter and many people die, meaning we have the seawater and the fresh water now being attacked. The fourth, a third of the sun, moon, and stars are darkened. And then there's three woes that take place before the fifth and sixth trumpets sound. And so these fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpets coinciding with the three woes now. But the angel sounds the fifth trumpet the first woe and locusts with scorpion tails torture people for five months. Second woe, the sixth trumpet. Four angels go out and kill a third of mankind. And the two witnesses are there and they prophesied for 1260 days. The two witnesses are killed, lay there in the city for three and a half days, then are resurrected back to life and ascend to heaven. And the seven trumpet prepares to sound and there's, there's a great calm but prior to this, there's a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city, meaning Jerusalem, collapsed and 7,000 died, connected with these angels. But then we have angels proclaiming the gospel to all the earth, proclaiming the fall of Babylon, proclaiming the wrath of God. And then the seven angels, seven plagues, and the seven bold judgments of God that go forth. And so the earth at this point with the seven trumpets, it's going to be unreal. But then those who are left, who remain, 
This gets into the second half of the Great Tribulation. It tells us that with the first bold judgment, painful sores come upon all who worship the beast and take the mark. The second bowl, the sea turns to blood and all sea creatures die. The third bowl, rivers and springs turn to blood. The fourth bowl, intense heat by the sun and man curses God. The fifth bowl, beast and his kingdom is plunged into darkness. The sixth bowl, Euphrates River is dried up. A roadway for the kings of the east is made available then. And three evil spirits go out to the rest of the kings and prepare for the battle of Armageddon. And then the seventh bowl, the worst earthquake that's ever happened, being prophesied that all islands, all mountains shall not be found. Hundred pound hailstones falling upon man. And again, man curses God. Angels involved in these. It's, he's coming with his angels. And all these things precede what I just read, precede the coming of this day that we're talking about now. If you've never prayed to receive Christ as your Savior and would like to do that and just ask the Lord to forgive you and to cleanse you and to do all that He's promised to do, just let go and let God do a work He desires to do for you. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.